Welcome back to 64, a chess podcast. I am David coming at you live from great state of Illinois. Joining me on the podcast today is a fellow podcaster and fellow PhD, uh, mm-hmm. sort of uh, kind of finished PhD, working on the clinical side of her PhD. Uh, please welcome to the show, Julia Rios. Welcome to the show, Julia. Hi, David. Uh, it's very good to be doing this one. Uh, by the way, uh, to the fans of the pod, you guys are being spoiled right now because I'm I'm recording pod after pod. This is a little <laughs> it's a little atypical. Um, uh, but you know, there's so many great pods out there, and I've been a fan of your podcast for a very long time. And uh, it's great to see you guys get uh, uh, so much support and so much great feedback from the chess community about uh, your very unique and lovely podcast. Yeah, well, thanks for saying that, David. That's so nice of you. Um, and yeah, it's been, it's been kind of a surprise. I mean, I, not, not in a bad way, not that we were expecting, you know, negative feedback. Um, but we kind of just had this little idea that we wanted to do this chess and psychology podcast. And we both kind of agree that we were just really excited about it. Um, for anyone listening, uh, this is JJ Lang and myself, Julia Rios. Uh, we host the Chessfield podcast. And we both kind of agreed that we just really wanted to do it. And we kind of didn't really care, you know, how popular or successful it was. So it's been really cool to see it resonate with a lot of people. Uh, Well, I think it also occupies such a unique um, space in chess podcasting land. Like there really is nothing like it. Like there's (laughs) there's a billion better shows than mine, like 64 chess podcasts, the interview style. (laughs) And I think you guys do something really, really special and fresh and every, you know, every episode I'm not going to lie, I haven't listened to every single episode, but uh, the episodes I have listened to. <laughs> that's fair. I haven't. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it but it 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 has a very unique um feel to it, very unique uh and also um I've you know, I've learned a lot. I didn't really know anything about psychology. I've never taken a psychology course and uh Oh, is... they don't they don't teach you psychology courses in your astrophysics PhD? Yeah, no, no, they just, they maybe uh, I think other programs do. I don't. I'm not going to the best. Uh, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna have to email Illinois and be like, you you guys need to step up. Yeah. Um. How did how did you get interested in chess? I don't really know your whole um your whole backstory. Uh, the all the yeah. lore. So maybe we start there. Oh man, this story used to be so funny to me, and now I, <laughs> I'm, I'll, I'll tell it to you, David. Um. But I've said it so many times now that it's kind of become a little bit of a meme, I think, in the chess space. But I you did can invent something. In... <laughs> Just make someone up. <laughs> I'm so bad at making things up. Um, I, I wouldn't be able to do it on the spot. I can't think of anything funnier than what it actually is. Because um, what it actually is is kind of hilarious. So during the pandemic, COVID, when we were all stuck at home, we were all online a lot more. Um, over that summer, I very randomly just stumbled across this YouTube video called uh, Grandmaster Beats a Club Player at Chess. Um, and I had played a little bit of chess. I knew how to play chess. My grandfather had played. I had a really good friend from childhood who was quite good at it and really studied, which I certainly did not. Um, I had probably played maybe 20, 25 games total before this, but I did know how the pieces moved. I I had been exposed to it a little bit. Um, so I came across this video and I started watching it and I thought that the uh the chess <laughs> the chess grandmaster on the video was really attractive. <laughs> I was like, oh, he's cute. I'll watch this. Um and he was he was really captivating and he was so excited. And the way he described chess was really, I mean, uh infectious. So I I kind of fell down the rabbit hole a little bit. I just started playing online and I started watching more things. And, you know, the learning curve is so sharp. So you can get a lot better at the very beginning quite quickly <laughs> once you know basic principles. Um, so that was also really enticing. So um, the TLDR is I thought Daniel Narodisky was hot and now I play chess and have a chess podcast. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, I mean... I, there are a few stories better than that one, I think. <laughs> you know, that was the same thing for me, except it was a uh, Yasser Sarah one. Uh, so. Oh, he's a cutie too. Yeah, good choice. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> actually, I don't know. Maybe it's time I. Re- it's it's been so long. But last year, I actually emailed Daniel Narodisky, and he said he'd be honored to come on my podcast, and never answered my reply after that. So <laughs> I got it. I got ghosted by Daniel Narodisky. So. Um, Danya, were you saving yourself for my podcast? <laughs> 
perhaps. <laughs> perhaps. I mean, that would that would be. I I I definitely listen to that episode. I think most people would. Yeah, um, that would be really good, actually. Although I think he's actually starting his own podcast too. Oh, okay, cool. Soon. I mean, there's so many. Um, I certainly don't listen to all of them, but I I would be very curious to see sort of what kind of space he fills. Yeah, I mean, it's it is interesting because even when I started, it, it did feel like there was like you know four or five total, and now there's like twenty. Um, yeah, yeah. And nineteen of them are better than mine, so <laughs> <laughs> it's funny that's how. Not true. Yeah, no, it's not true. It's uh, at least I, I. One thing I know is I have the best theme song. I will fight anyone. Actually, you do. I'm not going to lie. Your intro is very impressive, David. I absolutely loved it. JJ and I have both said off the record, like that's pretty good. <laughs> I, I I made it. I ran the whole thing. Yeah. Oh, so, phenomenal. A plus. So, uh, yeah, so that's a, that's a little fun fact. I don't think I've really said that on pod either. Anyway, you know, there's a lot of lore so far. Um, <laughs> yeah, I didn't know. So Now, uh, your research... Wraps. Indeed, indeed. Now, your research is uh, on disordered eating. Um, yes. This is going to be a weird question, but uh, the psychology of disordered eating, I wonder, is there any kind of overlap inherently with kind of the psychology of a like a neurotic chess player well (laughs) it's funny that you say that as soon as you said it's a weird question i'm like oh i love weird questions so i can answer this kind of in um, a more academic way which is to say yes when we're thinking about psychopathology there's a lot of overlap and there's just a lot of commonality in the neural systems or even the social factors Um, And a lot of the things that we think about as contributing to that type of disorder or um, diagnosis um, being shared across diagnoses. So (laughs) when you were thinking about something like, uh, how did you describe it, David, like the neuroses of a chess player, there could be a lot of things kind of uh, contributing to both of those mechanisms, especially almost the presentation of obsessions or even compulsive behavior, like clicking blitz over and over again. Um, So I am sure that if we had a long discussion, I could definitely find um, some overlap there. But I think one thing that really surprised me, you know, on a more casual level was that when I started to join the chess community online, uh, people would see, you know, in my Twitter bio, for example, that I study disordered eating. And I was really shocked how many people reached out to me to say, I play chess um, and I struggle with this. And I've never really met anyone in this space who studies disordered eating or is an expert or is a clinician. Uh, so it definitely was interesting to see that uh, that there may have, there may be some sort of prevalence there. Um, That's really interesting. Wow. Um, I don't even know where to go <laughs> from that. I mean, <laughs> I don't know. I, 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 I really wonder, like, um, if the average, let's say, average tournament chess player, uh, somebody who has, like, this... Because I think, like, even compared to other competitive, like, things, because it's so isolating chess, because it's just all you, I think yeah. that can either be really good or really bad for your brain. Um, and I don't sure. know if that's like about developing mental strength to overcome it or if it's just like kind of a fact of the game. But, uh, you know, there is, a, of course, people always say like, you know, so many of these grandmasters have gone crazy and, you know, blah, blah, blah. But I, I do wonder, I think that's a bit overstated, but I do wonder sometimes like how much like chess appeals to people who are generally neurotic or a little, you know. Yeah, like if there really is some... um actual statistic there or a certain prevalence of psychopathology in chess yeah i don't know for sure obviously um there's no research to my knowledge on that but it is something that jj and i have talked about on our podcast and kind of off the podcast too and we can start to think about possibilities you know who who is attracted to chess it could be individuals who potentially have more of a propensity for that sort of obsessive nature um, because I hear what you're saying. There really does sort of seem to be just anecdotally some type of correlation there, but I certainly can't say for sure. I weirdly found that chess like kind of helped me with anxiety. Um, yeah, I've actually heard a lot of people say that. 
Yeah, and I don't know why, because chess is also something that, you know, can can make you very anxious, obviously, in the moment. But I think it, like, uh, one thing it definitely helped me do is, like, kind of control my mental space. And, Mm, cool. like, if you're, at the, if you're at the board and you're playing a tournament game, like, all you can really think about uh, if you're focusing hard is, like, the, just what's in front of you. Like, if I'm, like, in a, in a zone, I don't even think about external environment at all. That's right. I don't yeah. register. And That so... was exactly what I was going to say, David, when you right off the bat, when you're sort of describing that this helps me kind of regulate that uh, anxiety reaction, the parts of our brain that are contributing to that anxiety response or a fear response are more in our limbic emotional centers. And those are very different. And in the most reductive sense, or even sort of in competition, sometimes with our prefrontal cortices, those cognitive thinking planning regions. So when we're really in that flow state of thinking and cognition, it is a really common effect that we see that anxiety response, that sympathetic nervous response turn off or at least down a little bit. Yeah, it's it, that's that's something that really shocked me, especially in like the last like two years. Um, also, like playing a lot of online chess helped helped me during the pandemic. I don't know if you can relate Whoa. when you were getting started, um, but uh, it was something that really, I don't know, it, it, it's, it's an escape in a way. Um, and it's also therapeutic. Totally which is weird. I don't know if I'd call chess therapeutic. <laughs> I know. I wonder if people will listen to this and be like, okay, chess is ruining my life and is giving me all my anxiety. This is, yeah. uh, but no, I, I mean, I, I agree with you in the sense that when I found chess, I, I almost can't even describe how much my brain loved it instantly. As soon as I started playing, I felt like I had, it honestly felt like falling in love. I, I was truly obsessed. Well. Yeah, I've, I mean, I, I I definitely relate to that. I think that's kind of how it is for a lot of people. Um, I also like now I'm wondering when you were making the podcast, you guys said that, you know, you really just did it because it was something you wanted to do. But did you have yeah. a target audience in mind? Was it just any chess player or was it geared specifically for people who are, um, you know, maybe like, you know, the hashtag adult improvers and stuff like that? Or was it really just more of like a, you know, I, we just want to talk about psych and, and chess like in one like one nice package. Yeah. I mean, I think what we had noticed was that the kind of, as you've already mentioned, David, the chess podcasting world was already pretty saturated with a lot of really good podcasts kind of geared at adult improvers. So um, there was so much information you could get even on something like perpetual chess, which I think also appeals to even titled players and has great interviews. But for someone who is looking for a podcast to help give them like study skills and tips and tricks and was really geared at that improvement aspect of the pod that just already existed. We were not terribly interested in doing that. Uh, But the space that we were really interested in filling was sort of looking at more of the emotional and social dynamics of chess, which are so kind of rich and evocative. Um, And no one was really talking about them. So one of our early conversations started because I was reflecting with JJ how often I would hear on these other chess podcasts or in interviews or on YouTube and Twitch, people sort of refer to the psychology of chess, but then no one ever actually talked about what that meant or what that was or how that impacted the game. It was sort of this way of saying, well, there's a psychology of chess and it's basically anything that's happening on an intellectual or emotional level besides just the tactics or just the lines and variations it's all of the um all of the things outside of how the pieces actually move that i'm thinking about so i sort of said to jj great why don't we talk about what those actually are um and how can we really harness those and think about those to improve our game also they're just really interesting to me right there is a that's very true um i'm guilty of that for sure i mean yeah my my coach is actually he's doing some he's he's studying psychology he's a grandmaster and he's he's taught me some things about how to psych out opponents over the board or like even yeah he's taught me some tricks but there's also like i think what you and jj do is kind of on a more meta level like like it's like the psychology of a chess player it's you know and um that's even more interesting. Like, 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 for example, one, one of my favorite episodes by you guys, um, I, unfortunately, I don't remember the exact season or, or episode, but I'll, I'll link it actually in the, in the bio was awesome. when you guys were talking about getting tilted and blitz. 
Yeah. I think, or I mean, you've talked about it several times, but I think it was the first real like dedicated discussion to like, why do you keep pressing the button after, um, after you lose like a ton of ELO and, um, yeah. it didn't, it didn't stop my bad habits, you know, <laughs> <laughs> it did not. Um, but it, it is very cool to like actually learn a little bit about these kind of impulses that, um, you know, that make you human, but that also, uh, make you tank rating. And, uh, I think I've been a little better at avoiding like late night, 200 ELO drops, um, on my computer. So thank you guys. Yeah. <laughs> And those are some of the episodes that are my favorite where you notice sort of this cultural phenomenon in the chess space, these things that we all kind of do. So we've all sort of accepted the fact, yeah, we're tilted, we tilt. But why do we do this? <laughs> what if we treat that like it's not a rhetorical question? So that was a really enjoyable episode. And that was kind of also packaged with a conversation we had about chess fizzle. Um, because I was going through a phase where I was not feeling super invested and motivated to be playing and studying a lot of chess. And that was really the first time since I had found the game and had this sort of falling in love experience where I was a little disinterested. And then that kind of bummed me out too. Like, hey, this is the thing that has taken up so much of my mental and temporal bandwidth for so long. Um it, it was sort of disorienting to not be feeling that itch as strongly. So those were really cool conversations to have because I think everyone who plays chess has experienced both of those things. Kind of the, <laughs> the falling out of love phase or, you know, you, you have those little rough patches, right? Um, and the tilt, of course. So it's really cool to think about why those things happen um, and how we can sort of improve our relation to the game rather than just accepting at face value. Oh, well, this is just kind of what we do and what it's like. What if we sort of actually explore that a little bit deeper? Yeah, hundred percent. Even the falling out of love phase is something that I've, I mean, I think every chess player who plays a lot goes through it at least once you find the game totally. boring at some point. I know for me, I had like, I had reached my rating goal that I dreamed of like forever and then yeah. immediately I was like, well, what now? <laughs> and I like, I felt like empty almost. And so I just said, yeah. well, what if I just switch from E4 to D4? <laughs> did that solve all your problems? It did. It did. It was because it was like I was playing a new game. And that's still how I feel. Yes. Because, yeah. Oh, we just talked with Nate Solon about this. I know. I know. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I really, that was part of the episode that really tickled me. And I think there's something to it. This idea that in these different lines and positions and pawn structures, it's almost like a different game with slightly different rules. So that's really cool to hear, David, that just by making that shift, you were able to kind of reignite that excitement. And also, I mean, because I had forgotten really comfortable and certain, like, I think like I had a bunch of lines in E4 where I had like 60 or 70% win rates. Like, I'm sure if I stuck with it, wow. I would, yeah, I'm sure if I stuck with it, I'd be much higher rated, but I just said, no, I like, this is something I just need to do. It's something that speaks to me. I, I couldn't explain it. And uh, I, I got tilted like crazy in the past year, but I mean, I, I've learned a lot and, and I, I've enjoyed it a lot. So that, that's all that really matters, you know? Like, what were your favorite pet E4 lines or the ones that you had a lot of success with? I, I, I did like, so I, I can show you, I can show you, or, or I can, I can put some, some pictures in like the Twitter thread or whatever. But one thing I did was in the Nidorf, I, uh, I think actually Gopal, who you had on the podcast, I think Gopal might enemy have, of the pod. Yeah, enemy of the pod. But I think he he had actually um, he either recommended some book to me on the Nidorf or he just told me to check this line out. But is this G four line in the Nidorf? Oh, and, uh, I oh. yeah yeah. <laughs> Say no more. I have seen the Gopal men in G four. Yeah. No one else is. No one else does better things with that G pawn than Gopal. I swear. Yeah, it's 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 like a little sick fetish, I think, for people. Because <laughs> that's G four is still my favorite. Uh, like, if I can play that move and it doesn't lose, I'll probably play it. Um, so it's like my. So are you a grab man, David? Yeah, I've always been. I mean, it's not something I'll ever play, like in a like even in a rated game. But it's it, it's like a it's like a sick passion of mine. I think. Um, <laughs> that's awesome. Those are my favorite people. I swear. But if people play G5 against, like, sorry, if they play G4 against me, I will play G5. That's, there's All no right. question. I don't care how serious it is, not serious. That It's the double grab. You, I can't reject it. It's like, it's like an impulse. I just can't, I can't stop myself. Like, it's like watching a car crash. 
you just can't look away. <laughs> yeah. As a psychologist, I have so many follow-up questions about this, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I will say also one thing I learned is that if like G4, G5, F4, F5, it's called like the double Coca-Cola gambit or something. I don't know yes. why. Yeah. I don't know why. I don't know how. I don't know how much Coca-Cola paid to get a thing named after them. But um, this came to my attention when I posted about stupid chess opening names on Twitter. And 1,000 people felt the need to tell me all of the stupid names that I missed. Uh, Coca-Cola Gambit was one of those. Was one. So I'm mansplaining to you right now. <laughs> <laughs> no, this is helpful for our listeners who probably yeah. don't know that and should not know that. There's no, no. reason to know this. <laughs> yeah, it's like uh, yeah, it's like the hidden world of uh, chess openings. You you just made a, a tier list of hot chess openings. Yes, um, and if you want to talk about it, I'm ready to talk about it because I actually I sent out that tweet and then I was doing. Um, some very rigorous neuropsych testing at my clinic. So I couldn't respond. And I am positive that people are ripping me to shreds right now. But I also feel really confident with my list. So if you have any uh, feedback, David, I am happy to really explain to you the deep thinking that went into went into the creation of this ranking. Yeah, it's sort of um, it's sort of blown up on Twitter right now. And, um, you know, nice. you got you. you, you I generally agree. I wouldn't. I, I'm not a big fan of the Benoni. Uh, I also, at any cost, will reject the Benoni when it's played against me. I don't go into any of the main lines and stuff like that. I think Benoni players hate me. I never accept the challenge. I just play very quietly. So I just want to point out that the way that that what is being ranked here is not actually um, how much one likes the opening or even how good the opening is. It's just how hot is the opening. Like on an aesthetic level, or like if it was like like someone at like uh, your college, like and you had a crush on them, like like what? Like it's open to interpretation. Because I can sort of get it if it's yeah. I think the Benoni looks like Benoni structures look very aesthetically pleasing. It's um, just the general vibe. It's the just vibe. The chest feels. Yeah, just the chest feels. <laughs> I, I did like that you said open Sicilian pre-move in God tier also. <laughs> that is that is okay. Gopal challenged me on this. Um and I had to fight with Gopal uh because this was uh this came from the brilliant, beautiful mind of JJ Lang. Um and so instantly I loved it. And then Gopal was like, pre-move. <laughs> and yeah. I was like, no, this is the hottest thing ever. It's like I'm gonna play the open Sicilian literally no matter what Sicilian you play. I mean, you you don't get you don't get more confident than that. Well, C is hot. C5 is probably the one move you can probably safely pre-move against anything. I agree with that. And I made a meme about that, actually. And yeah. like only like six people liked it. But it's one of my favorites. Yeah, I think that's probably the only that's probably the only opening move that or like some night development that you can just safely kind of close your eyes and, and pre-move. So that's uh, that's some good stuff right there. Uh, so that's just generally considered hot, just playing C5 against anything. You know what? I totally agree, David. If you and I had had this conversation before I released it to the masses, I would put one C5 pre-move, maybe even God tier. I just, yeah. I, I totally agree. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, you know, something I, something else I wanted to ask you, this is this, I just remembered something I wanted to ask, um, but on the topic of Twitter, yeah, you obviously have not been in chess for a super long time. You know, right. only about two years. Yep. Uh, yeah, you have this, you know, growing platform, very nice podcast. Do you have like haters? Do you have people who kind of send, <laughs> send you nasty stuff and say like, oh, you're like, you're new to chess. Like, you don't know what you're talking about. Is that something you like have to deal with? Okay. I, I know that the, my answer to this is going to be so annoying, um, but I do, I do want to answer this authentically. Um and I'll and I'll give a lot of context for why my answer is what it is. So, um, my answer right off the bat is kind of no. I don't perceive a lot of haters or not a lot of people. I don't get a lot of negative feedback or I don't really feel attacked by a lot of people online. In fact, I'm always shocked by how kind and really complimentary people have been. Um, but I will couch that in two things. The first thing is. A few months into having Twitter, uh, my dear, dear friend, JJ, was like, you know, you can just close your DMs, right? 
So I did that immediately and never looked back. So people can't DM me um, unless I follow them, which is about 300 people and they're all homies. So I don't get nasty DMs. And the other thing is that I really think my brain just does not encode unkind or nasty remarks. I don't know what's wrong with me, but when I posted the one thing on Twitter about, uh, you know, there was a lot of discourse about women in chess yeah, and yeah. women posting selfies. So when I posted a selfie and was like, I belong here and my breasts are attached to my body, so um, they will also be here in chess. I I didn't I didn't notice um all the really unkind things and then later I was me and JJ were recording for the pod or we were just hanging out on Zoom and they started reading things that people were saying to me <laughs> and I had not seen them. I'm sure I got notifications. Um this was news to me. I was like someone said that. <laughs> so I don't know, maybe it's protective. I don't perceive a lot of negative feedback. Um, but I'm also not really huge in the space, right? They say once you have haters, you know you've made it. Um, I don't think I'm taking up that much space to have haters, but I I, I do want to say I've actually felt so welcomed and supported, and I feel like I've really found my tribe. There's a lot of really unkind and um, particularly towards women people out there. And I feel like I've built a community of really like-minded, progressive, and supportive individuals. So I feel really grateful for that. Yeah, that's 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 awesome to hear. Yeah, I, I did. I one thing I did have in mind when asking that question was this uh, this episode you're referring to um, with the whole there. There's this random. <laughs> I mean, if if you're not on Twitter, <laughs> it's just irrelevant. But there seemed to yeah. be this random like. Pro, a lot of prominent figures in chess just started to have some random hot takes on on sexism and stuff like that that was kind of a bit tasteless in in my opinion and i, I did i did remember your selfie and seeing some uh morons uh give their <laughs> two cents honestly if jj hadn't read them to me i i just never would have noticed yeah it is weird like i i do get i talked about this in my last episode i have gotten a little bit of hate um from people really like what i'm so curious well the the funny one that i i mentioned on the on the last podcast is i i'm trying to get a little bit into youtube and i don't have the tech for it right now but i'm just trying to see like how much you know i I make an episode every now and then when i have like a lot of time just to see how long how much would an actual episode like if i want to make a youtube episode like how long would it actually take me and uh one the first comment i got was like some guy was like this guy looks like the ugly chris pratt uh, <laughs> wait that's a compliment <laughs> I, yeah, okay, no. this is why i don't perceive haters if someone said to me um you look like the ugly milo kunis i'd be like oh <laughs> are you flirting with me yeah, okay that's... i think that's a compliment david I, mm-hmm. the ugly chris pratt is still the most attractive person in any room you walk into it's fine yeah yeah it's fair it's fair but i mean i i honestly i th- i always think i have very very thick skin i mean i i have three brothers um who (laughs) we made fun of each other constantly um so i feel like i have pretty thick skin just from being you know from my upbringing i i I really feel that way too as someone also um that grew up with no sisters and only a brother an older brother and um i think that's something that has really helped me out a lot too you know when i do post things online and when people have something to say if this isn't someone I know and it's a stranger, I I can't really describe how much I don't give a shit. I, this person cannot hurt my feelings. I I can't imagine anything that they would say that would bother me. And I know that that's not true for everybody. Um, and it might be because I, I do have a thicker skin, but I almost just can't express how much I do not care. And the people that I love, the people I really care about, when they have something to say, I take it really seriously. Um, but those people have all been really kind. So, um, maybe, maybe that's part of it too. You're like, do you have any haters? And I'm like, no, I don't. I, I think I just read these things and immediately forget. I, everyone, it's shocking to me. <laughs> the, the joke is like, it's always the guy with the handle who's like, it's like Josh six, seven, eight, two, nine, three, four, five. Yeah. And it's like, I, I, I who, who are you? Exactly. I, I have no interest in anything you're about to say to me. 
Yeah, and uh, there's actually this thing on Twitter where you can kind of filter out all those accounts, and you just never see them. Oh, how is that? I mean, I I was I have it on all all my Twitter accounts. You gotta is, show me that offline, David. Yeah, it's you just you don't see any any account that doesn't seem real or that's not you know some some random burner like you just won't. I mean, their replies will still be there, but you don't get the notification for it. And so, okay, well, also I'm also a guy, you know, when you you know, so. I think people are going to, on average, be much less creepy to me. Um, also, I think one thing that you guys do really well on your podcast is um, like kind of the, the crowdsourcing questions. And, you know, yeah. like the Halloween episode you guys did was really, really funny. Um, yeah. It's it's Thank you. Yeah. I, I actually was thinking of submitting a horror story, but then I remember oh, that you I... should have. Okay, yeah. David, tell us the horror story now. Come on. But that, yeah, that's the thing. I, I don't really have, like, I don't think anything that's ever happened to me over the chessboard could be considered, like, that bad, you know? like. Did you hear some of the stories we read on the pod, David? I A mean, lot of them would really, I think, fall into that <laughs> taxonomy of not that bad. Yeah, but there were a couple that were, like, really, like... Did uh... you hear Nate Solins? <laughs> That, that one that one was funny but i think he also i i think he had also written about it on twitter before so it wasn't super i think he, he teased it on on twitter sorry for the stretch <laughs> but yeah i think i think he had kind of like given the tldr but yeah that one was very um interesting well he's in nebraska i, I right like mm-hmm. he, he's moved now he, i remember when i had him on my podcast best he was just about in nebraska. to move well there you go sorry jj that's, Sorry, uh, JJ. Sucks to suck. Until we move there. <laughs> Are we moving there, David? I think so. Okay, think cool. Nebraska. Let me know. Yeah, Nebraska's calling our names. <laughs> um, it's funny. You know, actually, um, well, we're both doing PhDs. In the, well, you're almost done with your PhD. How much more time do you have to 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 do it? I'll be totally finished in May. So. Last June, I defended my PhD dissertation. So I'm done with the research and the PhD portion. And this year I'm on clinical internship, which is kind of like our residency. So I'm doing full-time clinical work. And when I'm done, um, you know, actually it's at the end of August, at the end of the summer, then I've completed my full dual degree program. So I will have a PhD and be licensed as a therapist. And are you like looking into, uh, you want to go the therapy route or do you want to do like, um, like, yeah. like academia stuff or okay, do you not know? Yeah, no, that's such a good question. And by now in my career, I definitely do know. Um, so I really do want to do the clinical work, which is actually less common with a clinical psychology PhD. Because if you want to do clinical work, you don't need a clinical psych PhD. So most people go into these types of programs wanting to do the research and wanting to stay in academia. But I really fell in love with the clinical work. Um, and the research that I did has been so valuable in informing that clinical work that I'm doing. And and I I really did love it too. I really enjoyed it. But in terms of my future career, I, I want to be a full-time clinician. Oh, great. Awesome. Um, yeah. And do you, do you have an idea of where you do you want to go back to? The, you're from the East Coast. You're telling me before we hit record. Do you want to go back to East Coast? Do you kind of lo- love the Midwest? Do you want to try something? Or does, is that not something you've yeah. really considered? There are so many factors that go into this question, David, that I cannot begin to answer it. Okay. Um, <laughs> one of my favorite cities is Chicago. So I've been I've been plotting and scheming, like, how could I make that happen? That's a city I would love to live in. Um, otherwise, I probably will be one of the coasts going back to D.C. near my family or to California. So we'll see. <laughs> There's a lot of things up in the air. Um, and, you know, unfortunately, when I finish my residency, I also do have to do a postdoc or a fellowship. So, yeah. So I was wondering if you're going to be applying totally for out yeah. of the woods. Right. Yeah. So it'll really depend on where I match again. And there's so many question marks. But, you know, I, Chicago seems like a really cool chess city. So I don't know. It's high up on my list. What's funny, I've been here three months and I've only I've only been in Chicago for all of like 10 minutes just to get to Union Station and, and you know, I was yeah. on a bus. I haven't actually, I haven't been there at all. Now the weather, well, actually it's been, it's been quite nice in uh, Illinois. Like I have basically no complaints about the weather, which I was surprised, but it should start to get super cold. So I don't know how, how much I'm going to want to go to Chicago. So I, I've been in the state of Illinois for like right, three months already. And yeah, uh, I how think far I'm, are you from the city? Uh, a little over two hours. 
It's not that okay, bad. yeah, but it, but it's a hike. I get it if you haven't spent a ton of time there. But yeah, it's yeah. it's one of, if not maybe, yeah, top three cities in the U.S. So that's yeah, that's 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 what I've heard. I mean, I I drove through it on a bus to the airport, and it looks sick. It it looks really cool. Um, and I know there's like a big there's a big scene. There's like you said, there's a huge chess scene there. I do wanna one of my hopes is to play the Chicago Open actually this year um that's oh, something cool yeah that's something i have on on the list of like of chess goals i'm taking a break from the whole tournament thing i did a lot of tournaments in in, in uh in denmark but um, okay cool I, i've heard I they're better in europe uh i can't disagree honestly i think the you, you can't drink beer I to, I said that yeah you can't drink beer um during your games Hell in the u.s yeah. i mean i guess you could but it would <laughs> you don't have open bar like you do in, at least in denmark uh, I i didn't play in other uh european countries but uh i mean i've heard great things about chicago open and um well also have you played any over the board um games before i've never played in a rated over the board tournament no um and i it took me a long time to come to peace with that and i've talked about it on my podcast a lot um when i started playing chess and getting really excited it was something i I really, really wanted to do, um, and and just realizing with everything I have going on in my life, which I have spelled out in detail on Kevin Skull's podcast, Chess Journeys. Right. Someone made a joke about it the other day. They tweeted at me. I I, I was joking with US Chess when they hired JJ. Like, hey, I get a job too, right? This is a package deal. Someone's like, I listened to you on Chess Journeys, and I did not leave thinking Julia Rios needs another job. Right. So I think just realizing that with um, everything I have going on in my life, which are things that I really, really love and value and cherish, um, I just didn't have room to study and play and travel for chess the way I was honestly aching to. So I had like a little grief period about it. Truly, I was talking to all my friends. I was really upset and uh, there was a lot of acceptance that had to happen, but also just kind of realizing where I'm at now. I mean, I have 50, 60 clinical work weeks minimum Wow. Um, on top of everything else I'm doing. So I- I've also really taken a break, not only on my dreams to play over the board, which I know, you know, life is long, like it'll happen. But um, even with study and stuff, my, my chest has really sharply hit the brakes Uh probably I would say even since about May when I was in hardcore dissertation defense mode, um, I really haven't been able to pick it back up since then. Yeah. It's, well, I mean, I, you, I think it's, it's great that you still, uh, that, I mean, I, something I really respect about uh, your podcast on a technical level is that you guys for the most part really stick to a rigid schedule and, and uh, you know, and um I mean, it sounds great and stuff like that. So my oh, my, my my point is that it's it's very admirable that you still have this, you know, uh, chest therapy space, basically. Yeah, totally. Uh, yeah, it's so so it's 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 nice that you you still have that as like an outlet for for chest and stuff like that. When you're, I I completely can relate. I mean, there's yeah, especially now that like I've really started a PhD. Um, oh yeah, it's a ton of work. I mean, first year of grad school, everyone says is a killer. Um, once the research ramps up, especially, uh, it will probably be even worse. So, um, that's something I'll have to take when, when it happens, but yeah. for, for now, I just try to try to play at least one game a day and, you know, Oh, that's awesome. What time control? <laughs> I always, I've, I've been a big 10 guy for, oh, cool. since I started, it's perfect balance. I think it's short enough that you can play it. Right. That you could play it. Yeah. It's 20 minutes at most. And, and, you know, it's, you still have those bursts where you need to calculate somewhere. So, I mean, I'm a big proponent of 10 uh, And then, awesome. you know, D-Gen blitz sometimes and uh, bullet and stuff like that when I really am just feeling like really sleepy in bed and want to just pass out. <laughs> I feel like I can almost gauge where my stress levels are at by what time control I'm playing. Uh, so I just had a really, really rough couple of weeks, and I realized just the other day that I had played nothing but one zero. Oh, <laughs> and so then I played a three two, and it felt so slow. Oh, yeah, <laughs> like, my opponent's like thinking for eight seconds, and I'm like, move your pieces. <laughs> That's that is so true, though. Actually, like um, when I first played like my first over the board tournament, and I was just playing ten zero, 
And I consider that kind of like long. Uh, and I was like, why are you taking so long? Move the pieces. And it's like <laughs> 25 plus five. Well, it's not even. No. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. Yeah. You know yeah, I never thought I would say that. I remember JJ telling me, you know, oh, when I was in college, I didn't play any chess. All I played was bullet and three O felt slow to me. And I thought, like, I doubt that. Yeah. And now yeah. I'm like, no, yeah, that's because it's glacial. Yeah, it is. <laughs> um, there's a saying that I've heard that uh, get becoming a chess grandmaster is like doing two PhDs. Mm. <laughs> I, I feel know. like becoming a chess grandmaster is probably a lot harder than getting a PhD. Yeah. So, so I the way I think or two PhDs. Yeah. I, well. I was thinking about this last night while, you know, thinking about what questions I want to ask you. And, you know, if you think about it. Oh, you're thinking about me. That's so nice. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Thanks for laughing. It was a joke. <laughs> no, that was that was that was a good one. Yeah. I mean, it was late at night. I couldn't sleep. And I was thinking like, hmm. Well, I just... No, but also. Thinking it... about Julia Rios. Go yeah. <laughs> but, but in all seriousness, like if you're like six years old and you get the Grandmaster title at like. 16 that is in yeah. terms of time spent kind of like doing two phds phd is what five six years on average ish oh yeah an hour for hour absolutely <laughs> yeah I, I mean i i'm gonna say something that's really controversial but also in my opinion brave <laughs> getting a phd is not that hard um you just you really do just do it um i i know a lot of people who aren't in academia there it, it sort of can be on this pedestal um, especially in my family, no one had a PhD. So I, I feel like I'm often trying to convince people it's like, it's really not that bad. Um, becoming a grandmaster seems like something you have to really dedicate your life to. So I think becoming a GM is like, if we do the PhD analogy, it'd be like, imagine you're writing a dissertation and every single sentence you're competing with who can write a better sentence, like one-on-one. -on -one. <laughs> And you Someone have to is like, like trying to backspace all your sentences. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And you have to like write whole paragraphs in one chunk before you can afford to give up. Like that. That's like what it's like to become a like a grandmaster. I think in that sense. Totally. But totally. then I. But then the logical continuation I had after that was, would it be you know people do PhDs in music? Could somebody do a PhD yeah. in chess? What would that look like? Mm. I like a question. Like an MFA. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Is, it, is chess not an art? <laughs> I think people say it's an art. It's an art. It's a sport and all that. I think it's, you know, people have no, done. No, this could totally happen, David. Sorry. Now I'm going to take this question really seriously. I feel positive that someone getting a PhD in something like statistics or some type of even like coding, I am sure there's a way that you could write a dissertation that is somehow like contributing to how we think about chess, like maybe like chess engines. I I'm sure there's possibilities out there. Yeah, but I also think, you know, let's say Russia, Netherlands, they created like full chess curricula to just make even, you know, mom sends you to chess school and you have no talent or whatever and you hate the game, but you sort yeah. of start to play, you still end up getting pretty good. Like they figured out, like the Soviet school of chess, they figured out yeah, yeah. for anyone who had a remote interest and wanted to get into it, they figured out what you need to do to get pretty good and everything. Um, I hear you. This is scholarship just on how do I get better. Right. But I'm saying write a dissertation. The whole point is you need to be contributing to the canon of literature. So you have to be adding ideas. You have to make your own line. You have to write a chessable course. But are there any lines left? <laughs> well, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a great <laughs> question. Like, um, that, that's something, well, I mean, people, People are still finding, I mean, I guess you can't make a whole repertoire, but people are always finding like new stuff for world championships and stuff like that. And certainly you can get as adventurous as you want over the chessboard if you want to. Uh, it's it just, it's a lot of work. Um, I, I certainly feel like sometimes, you know, if, you, if I'm doing serious prep, that's research. <laughs> that's like, that's research. Chess study can be oh, yeah. super diligent if you're really, you know, it's, it could be a ton of work. Um, the way that I would frame it is that the things that have helped me in my PhD program and in my research are the same things that help me with chess. Um, so I have, I, I, I've always in my life 
ended up having these really intense hyper interests and hyper focus, which when you're writing a dissertation is awesome. I literally would go to my office and write for 16 hours um, and just be in that hole and I can get sucked in and I can stay concentrated. And that is really fortunate. Um, And it was really the same thing with chess, (laughs) but there are it comes with some distress and impairment to borrow some clinical psych terms. Um, there's also advantages to being able to set shift out of interest in your focus. So it's a mixed bag. But especially when I first started playing chess, I could truly study and play and learn for for hours and hours and not get bored and not get tired. And, you know, you said you had a lot of hobbies. Did you ever kind of get burnt out from stuff from just being so obsessed with it and then just like one day being like I can't do this anymore yeah that's such a good question um the answer is actually annoyingly not really because I'm so selective with what I sort of let in because my time is so limited so my other big the, the other big real interest that I've had my whole life is reading when I was a kid I loved to read we just do this for hours and hours and that's still such a mainstay in my life um and there I I love art I love drawing I love painting but my hobbies are not super diverse (laughs) like that honestly might kind of be it so when I fell in love with chess it was like oh this is like the once in a decade like let's bring another thing into the fold um and I knew it would be sort of that lifelong love yeah I, I only say that because I I do feel like um Kind of similarly that with the exception yeah. of, you know, I when I start, when I pick up a hobby, I just get obsessed with it. A new game or whatever, like new book or yeah. whatever. I can just, I can just like fully spiral and, and like just lose all sense of everything. But totally. I, with the exception of chess and maybe just because I've played music for so long as well, I usually just one day I'll just be like, I'm sick of this. And I just stop mm. cold turkey and I never touch it again. Uh, and I'm surprised, that, I'm really surprised that that never happened with chess. I think maybe chess just speaks to me on a slightly deeper level, but I, I've not always yet. been- Not yet, not yet, that's true. <laughs> I, I just need one one bad loss and I just quit cold turkey from chess forever. Yeah, um, no, I really see this as such a facet of my personality. I, I don't go down a lot of rabbit holes and I'm, I'm sort of the same with my friends. I don't have a ton and ton of friends, but the friends I have are really close and I keep them my whole life. <laughs> Hopefully so far. Hopefully Not fingers yet. crossed. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, on that note, there's one more question I'll ask you, which is just, um, what's been, you know, you've, your chess journey is relatively short. Um, I didn't, I didn't really want to go through the whole adult improvement thing just because it's not something I'm particularly well-versed in, or I don't, to be honest, I don't care about it that much. Um, <laughs> and I have nothing really uh, interesting or thought-provoking to add. So yeah, yeah. Let's, let's for sure sidestep that. But um, I, I did want to, you know, just in more general, like throughout the last, past like two years, you know, you started a really awesome podcast and uh, yeah. you found this great community. What's been the like highlight of the last two years for you, like within the chess world? <laughs> um. Yeah, what a great question. I, I I really do, you know, we've kind of been touching on it throughout our conversation, David, but I I do sort of have to say the podcast. Um even when you were sort of like, it's so impressive that you have all this going on with your PhD and you're still making time to record and you guys have this schedule that's because of how much of a priority it is to me. Um, And I just think it's something really special. As soon as we started it, I just had this feeling that we were creating something that I really cared about. And um, I, I feel so lucky to sort of get to engage in that with someone that I consider such a close friend. It, it truly doesn't feel like work. It's really enjoyable. And it's really easy. <laughs> like JJ and I literally hit record um, and we get to have these awesome conversations and really craft something that I think is contributing to the chess community in a way that I really want to contribute. You know, so we've been talking a lot. I think there's been a lot of discourse online about how to improve things for the queer community or for women in chess. And I I really like to think that that is something that JJ and I are thinking about deeply 
and doing in a way that is sort of permeating everything that we do on the podcast. We're really trying to incorporate a lot of those ideas and philosophies and values into everything that we're talking about, almost changing the language around the way we think about chess, the way we think about improvement, the way we think about the space. So I, I just feel so grateful. I feel so lucky that I've been able to create this thing. And um, it's just been such an unexpected and phenomenal experience. Yeah. And of course, it, it helps to have such a diligent co-host. Uh, one of my first guests on the podcast, actually, shout out JJ. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, I, I think uh, to my listeners, if you're looking for another podcast to add to your podcast repertoire i can't say this enough uh chesterfield's podcast is like is so different from your standard you know chess interview podcast or, or really like there's there's just nothing quite like it um and uh, i'm a huge fan and uh i i hope to hear many more great episodes and i've learned a lot about myself about chess about chess culture i did something i'd even talk about but you know, of course you had a couple of episodes um about that as well so uh keep up the great work and uh That's it was so cool thanks for saying that david yeah and it was a pleasure to have you on the podcast i'm glad uh i, I was kind of been meaning to dm you for a while but you know <laughs> just gets so so busy so um i'm, I'm glad i'm glad that we did this uh maybe i'll see yeah. you on your podcast one day and uh oh definitely yeah this, this is a lot of fun so thanks so much for coming on and to my listeners thanks for listening to this episode of 64 chess podcast Give 64 Chess Podcasts a subscription, a follow wherever you get your pods. Check out Chessfield's podcast as well. Give them some love. Give them, leave us some nice reviews. You know, if you like our words, uh, seriously, <laughs> go check them out. I cannot say this enough. Um, I also want to thank uh, Chessable, or we can thank Chessable for sponsoring our podcast collectively. Um, I think they sponsor your podcast, right? They still sponsor your podcast. Oh, big yeah. time. Big bucks. Um, yeah. Subgeared. Yep, subgeared. And uh, <laughs> in, in and indeed, uh, they have a actually a Black Friday sale. I think it's going on for a few more days. So uh, you should go check that out. Uh, Chessable.com slash 64 podcast. You want to see some of my favorite courses that help me with my own uh, chess improvement or it's just courses I really loved. Uh, so go check that out. Guys, it's been a pleasure. Uh, I am going home to New York next week. So I don't know what to do. I'm going to be home for like two weeks. I don't know when I'll be recording for a while. So this could be the last episode for a while. Who knows? Who cares? Uh, well, I, I don't know. I won't if say you're missing cares. David and you just can't find a way to fill your time. Me and JJ are here to yeah. hold your hands and get you through these tough times. So come on over. Just, yeah. just give us a chance. Give him, give him a chance and uh, <laughs> and don't abandon me um, when you like, inevitably <laughs> like him more. So, uh, <laughs> no, but Julia, seriously, thanks so much for coming. Uh, guys, it's been a pleasure. Yeah, thank uh, you. And uh, see you guys next time. Take it easy.